John 9 says this, As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva. And then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud, and he said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? And some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. But he kept saying, I'm the man. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes open? And he answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go, receive, uh, go and go and uh, receive my sight. They said to him, Where is he? And he said, I do not know. They brought to, they brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, He put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. And some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who, has, who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him since he opened your eyes? And he said, He is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son, who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? And his parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he now sees we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age, he will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he is to be put out of the synagogue. And therefore, his parents said, He is of age, ask him. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he, came, where he comes from. The man answered, Why? This is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And they answered him, You were born in utter sin. Would you teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that he had, they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have seen him, 
and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. Let's pray. God, we're so grateful for your word, and we're thankful for its faithfulness to teach us, instruct us, and encourage us. Lord, we pray that you would give us spiritual sight. Lord, we pray that we would see things the way that you see them. That we would see our circumstances the way you see them. That we would see the people around us the way that you see them. Lord, give us your sight. Be with us now, Lord. May your Holy Spirit guide us as we proclaim the truth of this passage. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, it's been a while since I've given a sports analogy, so let me give a sports analogy. Um, has anybody been to a game, usually like, like a high school game or maybe a kid's sporting game where like, you know, there's that parent, you know, that's like yelling at, uh, at the coach or at the kid or pretty much at anybody that's moving on the field of play to do things so that the kid will, you know, have an opportunity to score a goal or make the hit or what have you. Anyone been there, right? And you, you, you definitely hear this phrase when, when that occurs, when this particular parent is there, usually maybe at a, at a baseball game, you know, uh, and, and the umpire misses the call, right? The pitcher throws a perfect strike from this parent's child, right? Perfect strike right down the middle, and it's obvious to everybody there, except for the ump, apparently, who must have a terrible view of the ball passing right over the plate. Uh, but the parent, this parent that you know of that is, is saying everything to protect their child's success says, Are you blind? Right? Are you blind, umpire? Did you not see that that ball came right across? It came right across as a strike. There's no way you could have missed that. I clearly have a better vantage point from the left field bandstand. <laughs> Are you blind? Uh, you know, this in every single sport, you have uh, constantly the, the, the people in the stand somehow have a better perspective of the field of play than the ref does. Now, on occasion, you know, they, they miss things and they don't have a good view and they make the wrong call and, you know, people get upset and it's controversial and all this. But generally speaking, the referees are in the best position the umpire's in the best position to make the correct call at the right time. They have the best view of anybody. But constantly in the sporting season, you will hear, are you blind, ref? Did you not see what is right there before you? As I was uh, looking at this passage this week, um, you know, the question that I, I have for us to ask as we think about these, these characters that are in this story today is, are we blind? Are we blind? And, and the, the challenging part about this passage is, in what way are we blind? 
Because there's a blind man in this passage that sees. And there's some people that see that are blind. And so we have to ask ourselves a question, are we blind? You see, we've been going through this study of John, and, and Jesus here is, um, is, he's just come out of the temple, he was ministering in the temple, and, and there he had said to the people at the temple that, that he had existed prior to Abraham. He had told them this. He had said, listen, uh, before Abraham was, I am. And at that point, they had picked up stones, and they were going to try and kill him, uh, but he got out of the temple. Amazing. And so right after this has happened, he, he leaves, and, and he's in Jerusalem. He passes by this man that is born blind. And the disciples, now trying to follow Jesus, understand like what it means to be a follower of Jesus. It says, his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? It's really a good question, right? Like, if you're a believer, um, or if you're trying to understand Jesus and understand how your faith and how your paradigm is going to work, how does this kid, how was he born blind? What did he do that made him receive blindness before he was even born? At that time, uh, the understanding was either the boy somehow sinned, and I don't understand how, uh, the boy somehow sinned within the womb and was given blindness because of his sin, or... Uh, his parents sinned, and the result of their sin was that this boy received blindness. That was the understanding. And so people were, were judged if they were born blind. They were judged spiritually because of that. There must be sin in your family because you, were, you received blindness at birth. There's nothing <laughs> scripturally that really like backs that up in terms of like a direct, okay, if your parents sin, then you'll receive this genetic disorder. Like There's nothing that says that. There is, like, a, you know, brokenness in our world as a result of sin. And so, you know, genetic disorders occur because of the brokenness of our world, right? And some of that occurs because directly of particular sin. Uh, but in this case, Jesus says, and it gives us real hope and gives us real compassion for people who have various types of genetic uh, disorders, right? And that's what this is. This blindness from birth is a genetic disorder that he received from birth. And so previously they had said, oh, well, this, this must be a result of sin. He says, no, it's not. So it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Saying to this man, listen, what you're going through, what you've been through for probably 20 plus years at least, is from God, and God is going to bring glory to himself through your circumstances. Jesus says, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, it was that the works of God might be displayed in him. And he tells them further, We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Jesus is simply saying there, I've got a number of things to do while I'm here on earth. And one of them is to display the glory of God through this man, this very man's circumstances. And so here we are. This is what's going to happen. What does he do? He takes, he spits on the ground, kneads together some mud, and fully covers the guy's eyes with mud. Just patches it on there. It says he anointed them. He completely covered them with mud. It says, okay, go to the pool of Siloam, which means scent, and wash off. 
And a cool thing happens. The man trusts Jesus and goes. And he washes his face in the pool that Jesus told him to go wash in. Now, I don't know enough about this pool. I don't know if they were, like, far from the pool. Like, if it was a, you know, if there are pools between the pool that he was told to go to. You know what I mean? Like, there's a number of pools in Jerusalem where you could wash. And there are probably a number of places where he could have washed off the mud. And he could have thought, you know what, I, yeah, seriously, I need to go to the, like, why do I need to go to that pool to wash off? And really, there is speculation as to why they, he chose the pool of Siloam that means sent. Uh, one is that maybe because Jesus is the sent one, that's why he's telling him to go to the pool of Siloam, because it's the pool of the one who was sent, you know? So maybe it's that connection to Jesus. Uh, or maybe it's simply because Jesus said to go to a particular pool. And there's a step of faith that that man has to take in trusting Jesus. There's any other place he could have gone to wash his face off of this mud. But Jesus said, if you believe that I am who I'm saying I am, go to the pool of Siloam and wash your face. And so he did. He obeyed. He did exactly as Jesus told him to do. What happened? He came back seeing. He came back seeing. Now, as you heard, as I read it, I'm not going to uh, like analyze the, this middle section very, uh, very deeply, but there basically is this huge back and forth and controversy over this man's healing of his eyes, right? Uh, first, the neighbors come and like, hey, wasn't this guy, the guy that was blind and he was begging here? And they're like sort of confused. Is this the same guy or is this another guy? No, it is the same guy. And they're totally confused. And the guy, all this time, his neighbors are confused. And I love this part. He keeps saying, says, he kept saying, I'm the man. I'm the man. I'm the man. I've been waiting to say that all week long. John knows that. I pretty much told him, yeah, come here. Yeah, I'm the man. He said, I am. Like, and how could you not? Like, you guys, how are you confused about who I am? You see me every day for 20 plus years, maybe. I am. Joe, you know, like, here I am. You're like, no, Joe can't see, and you're seeing things, so you can't be him, you know? They couldn't believe it. It was that amazing. And they couldn't believe it so much so that they brought the man to the Pharisees, to the leaders, and the Pharisees don't believe it. All right, so they, they ask him, um, they bring him to the Pharisees and say, now, when was this done? Like, not wow, that's amazing, you were blind and now you see, like, rejoice, praise God. No, like, when was this done, the Sabbath? Okay, uh, how did he, how exactly did he do that on the Sabbath? Oh, well, he took some mud and he kneaded it, kneaded it together and then he placed it on my eyes and then he told me to walk to the pool of Siloam. Oh, this man doesn't obey the Sabbath. This can't be from God. See, they looked at the means through which Jesus did this miracle. And said, see, he doesn't obey the Sabbath. He must not be from God. In fact, maybe you weren't even born blind. And so they don't even believe this young man that has said, I, I've received my sight. And he did it. And this is how he did it. Yeah, it was a Sabbath, but like, I can see. Praise God, right? And they're like, where are his parents? I'm not sure he was born blind. And so they called the parents, right? The Jews, it says, verse 18, the Jews did not believe that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents and asked them, is this your son who was born blind? The parents said, yeah, that's, 
That's our son. We don't know how he received his son. It's tough to know where the parents are at here. Um, they, they are in fear of the Jews because the Jews have said if anybody basically sides with Jesus, they could be cast out of the synagogue. So there's already like a familial um, breaking point that can happen if you give any sort of allegiance to Jesus. And so as a result, if they're like being neither in nor out on, on Jesus, sort of on the fence about him, they say, you know what? Ask our son. He's of age. He can tell you whether, you know, who, who did this. It, I mean, it literally says they didn't tell him it was Jesus. You know, the assumption is that he did actually know. They didn't tell him because if, if they had, uh, anyone had confessed Jesus to be Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. That's the reason they didn't fess up and say, yeah, it was, he received his sight, and it was that guy that did it. They didn't tell him what they knew because they were afraid of being broken from their families. And so they, they say, go, go ask our son. You can see a bit of their struggle, but you do wish they would have just stood up for their son. You know? I mean, you can understand where they're coming from, right? That they don't want to be cast out of the synagogue. So you can sort of sympathize with that. But, like, it's your son, you know? Like, does it matter, you know? Stand up for him. But they send him to ask the son again. And, and again, a second time, they call him over. And uh, this is just a, a beautiful exchange here. Um, the Pharisees come and say, give glory to God. This man that has is, is healed your eyes, he's a sinner. So give glory to God that you have received your sight. Right? It's basically what they're saying. That you didn't receive your sight from this man. God did it, it just happened to be at the same time. Give glory to God, this man's a sinner. He says, I, I don't know about that. <laughs> All I can tell you is, verse 25, so whether he's a sinner, I don't know. One thing I know is that though I was blind, now I see. And when I started to see was right after I obeyed Jesus. And that's all I know. So he says that to them, and they say, well, well, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? The guy's like, seriously, I've already told you this. I've told all my friends this over and over. Like, the story is known. The guy spit on the ground. He made mud. He put it on my eyes. I went to the pool of Siloam. I washed off, and now I see. What? Like, what? What more do you need to know? And so he's a little confused by this. He says, well, maybe you guys want to be his disciples too. Maybe you're trying to figure out how he's doing this thing. And I don't know if he's like, I think he's being a little snarky in that. Like, you guys want to follow him too? You guys want to do this? And so they're pretty ticked off by that. They didn't want to be associated at all. They say, we, you are his disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses. But as for this man, we don't know where he's from. And this amazes the man even further. He says, this is amazing. You've got to be kidding me, guys. Right? I mean, he's really sort of like at his wits end here. Like, no one is able to make a blind man see. And this man has made a blind man see. And you're telling me that he's not from God. Okay. Whatever, whatever you guys say. You know? If this man were not from God, he could have done nothing about my blindness. He could not have placed mud on my eyes, told me to go to the pool of Siloam, wash off, and then somehow, miraculously, I see. So whether he's from God or not is clear to me he's from God. And, 
and his understanding, at least at this point, is that at the very least, Jesus is some sort of prophet that has come from God and has been given ability to do signs. And that's about all this young man knows at this point. In fact, so far, it's our understanding that this young man hasn't even seen Jesus yet. Right? Because Jesus tells him, hey, go to the pool, and we don't have any interaction with him and Jesus yet until he's gone through all this argument with his neighbor, all this argument with the Pharisees, back and forth, his parents throw him back to the Pharisees, and now, after he's been cast out of the synagogue, Jesus finds him, verse 35. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Now again, this man hasn't necessarily seen Jesus' face. We don't think he has seen Jesus' face yet. So a man approached him. He might recognize him by voice. So it's very possible that he recognizes him by voice. I think you're the guy that told me to go to the Pool of Siloam, but he's only heard him like one time. So you know, how much he knows about who this is, speaking to him right now, is a little uncertain. But he probably has a pretty good idea. This is, this is the guy that told me to wash, and now he is. I'm seeing him here for the first time. He says, do you believe in the Son of Man? Now, the Son of Man is a very particular phrase. Uh, it's not used real often. Jesus uses it about himself, um, and, and occasionally it's used throughout the Gospels. And Jesus is spoken of both as the Son of God and as the Son of Man. Now, there's one time in the Old Testament that the Son of Man is spoken of, and that's in Daniel. And the Son of Man was considered to be an, an apocalyptic figure, a figure that was going to come at the last days. And so this is from Daniel chapter 7. Uh, I'm going to read a, a portion of this. It says, 7, starting in verse 9, it says, As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and his hair of his head pure as wool. His throne was fiery flames, its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousands served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were open. I looked then, because the sound of great words that the horn was speaking... And as I looked, the beast was killed, and the body destroyed and given over and burned with fire. And as, as, the re- as for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and time. In verse 13, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days, and was presented before him. And to him, son of man, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. The Son of Man is the one in the end time that is to be given dominion over all kingdoms, peoples, nations, and languages, dominion that shall not pass away, that shall not be destroyed. When they thought of someone claiming to be the Son of Man in particular, not just generally a Son of Man, that is just a human, if you're thinking about, do you believe in 
the son of man, that's who you're referring to. And so he says to this young man who's just received his sight, do you believe in the son of man? And he answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, and this is awesome, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. The cool thing about this is that I believe Jesus is speaking in a spiritual sense here because the, he continues to speak of it in a spiritual sense toward the end of the, end of the passage. And it says here that you have seen him. This is the first time he is seeing Jesus, right? He is seeing Jesus. He is currently seeing Jesus for the very first time. He has not seen him physically in the past. But Jesus says, you have seen him. You have already. And he is the one speaking to you. Two different tenses. One in the past and one in the present. Presently, he is speaking to him. Now some people explain it as, well, you know, it's, uh, it's, he's both seeing him and talking to him now. And they sort of come, uh, put, the verses to, uh, put the tenses together. But what I think we know from the passage is that he is speaking of spiritual sight. His whole point here is, is spiritual sight. So when he says, you have seen him, he has seen him. Truthfully, Jesus came to him and, and said, right? Go, wash in the pool of Siloam. I'm about to do a work that will glorify the Father in you. He knew this was the Son of Man. He has seen him with his heart, and he obeyed him. He went to the pool of Siloam, and he washed his eyes in direct obedience to the Son of Man. He says, you have seen him. You have recognized that I have, been, I have come from God. He says, the Son of Man, that's me. I am the one you have seen, and I am the one who is speaking to you. Jesus goes on and says, For judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no, you would have no guilt. But now you say, We see, and so your guilt remains. You see, he's speaking spiritually. Did the... Did the Pharisees suddenly become physically blind? No. They thought they could see in a spiritual sense. They had their physical sight, and they thought they understood in a spiritual way. They thought they understood better than anybody. In fact, they thought other people didn't understand. Jesus says, I came that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Jesus says, you've accused yourself by saying, are we also blind? If you were blind, you wouldn't feel any guilt over this. But you do feel guilt because you now say that you do see. What do we take from this passage? It's pretty simple. It's made emphatic by the situation that this young man has found himself in. 
from birth. No control over who he was born to, or where he was born to, or what genetic disorder he might receive. He didn't choose that, and it wasn't the result of his sin. But when you receive that, right, when you have that card dealt to you, so to speak, whether that's in your hand or not, you have a choice. This, this man had a choice. He, he could have been bitter toward God. He could have been angry with God. He could have turned on God and said, God, you have nothing for me. I did nothing wrong, and I'm blind. And everyone's accusing me of doing something wrong when I've done nothing wrong. And my parents are great people. They're in the synagogue. They're being obedient. Like, there's nothing wrong. We haven't done anything wrong, and yet I'm blind and being accused. Right? He could have been bitter toward God. When God shows up and says, this man did not sin, and neither did his parents, he has held on to hope. He says, I trust you, and obeys, and goes and washes in the pool of Siloam exactly as Jesus told him to do. So we have to have spiritual sight. When we're walking through this life, there's circumstances that are in our life. Now, listen, with this man, I'm sure there were days when he felt hopeful and days when it was a struggle. I mean, years, the entirety of his life, he spent not being able to see and being judged for it and not being able to have a vocation, having to beg because he's been blind from his entire life. And I'm sure there were seasons where he was like, it's going to be okay, you know, no big deal. We'll get through it, like... And I'm sure there were other scenes where he was completely depressed and wanted it to end, right? I'm sure there were those kind of cycles. And the truth is that each of us, as we look at our circumstances and situations, there's times in which, man, the struggle feels way too hard. And there's other times where we're like, all right, you know, we're going to be okay. We're going to get through this. It's going to be all right, you know. And you have those cycles and seasons. But Jesus says, regardless of how you're feeling, the struggle you're going through, this struggle has been brought to you for the glory of God. That you might trust me when I say, go. Go and wash in the pool of Siloam. We've got to have spiritual sight to recognize that God's glory can be displayed in us despite how hard things might be. My best friend growing up, as many of you know, lives in Sarasota. And uh, his daughter has uh, a char- charge syndrome, is what it's called. And it's a genetic disorder uh, that affects the heart and the eyes and mobility, and, like a whole host of things. Um, so it was very hard for them, you know, when they found out that that was uh, going to be the case and trying to understand that. I'm not surprised by the way in which they've walked through it. I'm not. Uh, They're faithful people. They love the Lord not in a religious sense. They love the Lord for the Lord. And so in spite of having a child that's going to have to deal with this, maybe have a shortened life, maybe have difficulty, you know, whatever, they're going to face a number of challenges. been through heart surgery immediately at birth and continues to have heart surgeries, continues to have uh, hearing issues and, and visual issues and all these things from a genetic disorder. They did nothing wrong. They could have been a 
type of person that is bitter toward God in that. But they have embraced the beautiful gift that is this child and exalted the Lord in the midst of it. I mean, I don't think about that often because you just sort of, you know, move through life and, you know, see these things. But man, the respect I have for them in that. They love that the Lord has a plan for Audrey. He does. He has a real purpose and a plan to give glory to himself in spite of this genetic disorder, right? It's so whatever situation, whatever circumstance that you're walking in, remember that God isn't unaware. We have to see these things with spiritual sight. We have to realize that nothing comes to us that hadn't passed through God's hands first. He knows what He's laid there on the table for us. Let us trust. Let us go to the pool of Siloam and wash and bring glory to God throughout the circumstances. God, we thank You for the chance to come and examine Your Scripture today. We thank You for this young man who by faith trusted You and and went and did exactly as You said and washed. And we thank You for the beautiful thing that You revealed to him that You are the one that has been given all glory and kingdoms and nations from the ancient of days to this man you revealed. Lord, we pray that whatever we're going through right now, that we would trust you. Trust your faithfulness. Trust your goodness. God, you know exactly the things that we're walking through today and we lay them down at your feet and say thank you. Thank you for what you're going to do in me. Thank you for how you're going to use this for your glory. And may we yield to you by faith. May we walk across the cities we live in and go to the pool of Siloam and wash. May we be obedient to whatever command you give us in spite of the circumstances that may be around. God, we are grateful for Jesus. Grateful that he has come into humanity and given his life for us that we might be restored to God the Father, have a relationship with him, that we might cry out to him in our time of need. We would place our faith in him daily and continually. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.